introducing the text today, which is from uh, Genesis chapter 3. We've done a brief series uh, on Genesis 1, 2, and 3. In Genesis 1, we saw that we are made for a reason. We are made to glorify God. That's the reason that you were created. That's the reason the universe was created. And last week, we saw that we were made for relationship. And that primary relationship we're made for is a relationship with God. But secondarily, but not uh, insignificantly, we were created to have these family relationships, which you saw up here today. And also, I really talked about the church family, how we were created to be in that sort of relationship as well. And we can talk about many other relationships. In fact, in two weeks, uh, Valentine's Day falls on a Sunday, and I'll talk about love, and we'll talk about relationships then. But you were created for relationship. God doesn't want you to be alone. I think that's very, very important. And as I said last week, that's been the unfortunate collateral damage to the COVID pe uh, pandemic is that many people have been isolated and they've been caused to be alone. Something I wasn't aware of last week that I read a former youth of mine who is uh, now an educator and lives in New York uh, testified on her Facebook that during this time, she has been very alone and that she scheduled a, a massage for the first time and an appropriate and socially, I don't know how you socially distance with a massage, but nonetheless, somehow. Um, and she's, but it was the first time that, that anybody had really uh, touched her during this time period. And she's one of these folks that were, have been very, very cautious about this. And uh, we have varying uh, responses to the pandemic, but her response was to be uh, very cautious. And uh, she, she said that it just brought her to tears that somebody was actually there and able to touch her. We're made for relationship, friends. And that's what Genesis chapter 2 is really the primary lesson that I would take from Genesis chapter 2. We're made for relationship first with God and then with our families. And Genesis chapter 3 is about how creation was ruined, but there is a promise that creation will be restored, right? So uh, a question that we often hear, at least that I often hear, uh, especially when we're going through so many of the things that we've been going through, the, the pandemic and the protests and all of the political upheaval, is if we have this almighty good God, then why all this bad? Why is there so much evil in the world? And I actually have a, a very extended answer to that question. But today, the simple answer that comes from Genesis chapter 3 um, is this ain't heaven. This is a fallen world. Let's listen to what the text says. Uh, again, I apologize for the audio on that, on that piece of video there, but uh, you heard portions of the text being quoted by the actors there, uh, by the actor that played Satan and uh, by the actor, you should have recognized uh, Pastor Craig that played Jesus. Um, this is what the, the text says. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. This is the New American Standard Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty, crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said you shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. 
and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made for themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, that is, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave for me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every living beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. And of course, they were cast out of the garden, separated from the tree of life, so that they would not eat from the tree of life and live forever in that fallen state. So what we find when we look at that text is that this is not the world that was. And this is not the world that will be, because this world, this creation that has been ruined, will be restored. And we'll look at that at the end of this message today. But I want to provide you with hope. I don't want to just be hammering on the difficult times. We've all been through many difficult times recently. Uh, some of them, some of you personally, and certainly all of us in our, in our world that we're living in today. But this is not the world that was. God created a paradise and he placed the first man and the first woman in that paradise. Further, this is not the world that should be. This could be a far better world if we took better care of our environment, if we took better care of one another, if Christians actually decided that it was important to follow Jesus and seek to emulate Jesus, then this would be a far better world. So this is not the world that was. This is not the world that, that could be or should be. And this is not the world that will be, because as I said, God will restore the creation. So that's the simple answer, the basic answer to why we're living in the situation that we're living in, why there is so much evil in a world that was created by a good God. In fact, as we saw two weeks ago, God finished with the creation and he didn't just say it was good, he said it was very good. And I think that we can see a lot of very good in the creation. In fact. Uh, Sarah posted something, I believe it was yesterday, uh, a picture of some canyons in Utah or something like that, uh, talking about how beautiful it was. I was actually born on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. And to this day, every time I go back and visit, I think the last time I visited was 2011, but every time I go back and visit, it takes my breath away. There is still a lot of good, and there's still a lot of, of good in people and a lot of good people in this world. That's not to say that there is not, but this world is fallen. It is separated from God's immediate care. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to stay separated from God's care. That's why you and I need a Savior. We need to be saved out of this world that is separated from God. Number four, uh, I have an outline that we're following here. If you're paying attention to it and you want to put it in your bulletin and you'll see the, uh, the points in the outline displayed to my right and to your left. But the first human beings were given only one rule. They weren't given a list of laws. They weren't even given 10 commandments. They were just given one rule and they broke it. 
What was the rule? In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we hear God speaking to Adam. God commanded the man saying, from any tree in the garden you may eat freely. Doesn't that sound like freedom? From any tree in the garden you may eat freely. But from the tree of knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So what did they do? Well, it's obvious. They rebelled. They ate. They sinned and fell short of God's glory, as do all of their descendants. The scripture says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You sin. I sin. Therefore, we all fall short of God's glory. So two weeks ago, we saw that we're created to glorify God, and yet we fall short of God's glory because we all rebel. We're all selfish. We all have problems with doubt and disbelief. We all have issues with rebellion. You see this with every child. Children uh, as young as, as, as you know, one or two that are able to speak. Well, what's the, what is the one of the earliest words that you hear a child speak? No. Yeah, no, and what's the other one? Mine. Mine. You got it. We have this problem. We have this selfishness problem. Now, I have heard this question asked in philosophical and theological circles. Is man primarily good, man as in humankind, as in people, or is man primarily bad? And you have had those throughout history that have come down on both sides uh, of that dilemma. There are those like uh, John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes. Calvin was a theologian, Hobbes was a philosopher, who would say, no, man is bad. He is bad through and through. Hobbes was the famous philosopher that said without uh, law to, to guide us and direct us, without the penalty of law to punish those that do wrong, life is nasty, brutish, and short. And if you ever read William Golding's uh, book, Lord of the Flies, you see that on display. Calvin's view, Thomas Hobbes's view, is on display in that book, Lord of the Flies, where this small group of boys lands on this island and uh, immediately they devolve into a, a two competing tribes that are essentially seeking to kill one another. But then there are those who would say, no, 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 that is not true. What messes humans up is society. What messes humans up is, is culture and civilization. Humans are basically good. This is Jean-Jacques Rousseau. This is Henry David Thoreau. This is an enlightenment idea. And it is in our educational system very much, right? Human beings are essentially good. And if you will just leave them alone, then they will flourish. That's really a hard case to continue to make if you simply watch how human beings are acting today. But I would say that both sides are wrong. Human beings are not essentially evil. Human beings are not essentially good. Human beings are essentially selfish. And selfishness can drive you to do some tremendous evil. I was listening to a lecture uh, by uh, a philosopher named Jordan Peterson. No, I guess he's a psychologist uh, named Jordan Peterson. Have you all heard of Jordan Peterson? All right. I, I would advise you to look him up. Very, very smart guy. But uh, he focuses on this time period many times 
uh, when he looks at the psychology of human beings, he focuses on this time period in the 20th century when Nazism arose and then uh, at the same time when uh, Marxism arose and, and the incredible evil that was perpetrated by one human being on other human beings. And in the lecture that I was watching recently, he was talking about the Nazi era and he was talking about these Nazi policemen who initially came from normal homes and environments. See, when we think of Nazis, we just think that they're all just bound, evil spawns of Satan. But what you find is that these guys came from some pretty normal backgrounds, but they got caught up in this movement full of hatred and they ended up doing horrendous things, things that I'm not going to bring up in a church setting like this. We've been exposed to enough uh, evil without me bringing up some of the, the horrific things that the Nazis did. But what you perhaps have not heard is that this same thing was happening in Russia under Joseph Stalin, who literally starved somewhere upwards of 20 million citizens, many of them in Ukraine, to death for the sake of an ideology, for the sake of his ideology. See, what I think is human beings are capable of great selfishness, and that can cause them to act uh, in behalf of their of their own progeny, right? Because they see that as an extension of themselves. So you may be willing to give your life for that little baby that was up here. In fact, probably most of the family, maybe all of the family, if it was between you and that little baby, you'd probably give your life. That's unselfish. And yet there's an element of selfishness there because I wonder, would you be willing to give your life for someone else's baby? Now, I'd like to say that I would. I'd like to believe that I would but I'm not entirely sure that I, if I were pressed into that situation, if I wouldn't just be making excuses and saying, well, you know, the baby is before the age of accountability is going to heaven anyway, and I'm gonna do so much good in this world. And... <laughs> but what would I be doing? I would just be seeking to preserve myself, right? I don't think human beings are primarily evil. I don't think we're primarily good. I think we're prim primarily selfish, and that causes us to rebel against authority, to rebel against anyone that wants to tell us what to do. Who's the ultimate authority telling us what to do? It's God. So even though there was only one rule, Adam and Eve broke the rule. Now, I'm not gonna get into details here, um, in fact, we will probably do this on Wednesday at some point in the near future. I'll go verse by verse through this and, and we'll talk more about it. I just want to get the major lessons out of this because I think that they're very important, especially for our time. So they rebelled, they ate, they sinned and fell short of God's glory as to do all of us. Um, sin separates us from God. That's what we find in the scripture. And all of that is the cause of our woe. The world is now separated from God and filled with rebellious humans and rebellious angels. That's why we have so much evil in the world, my friend. It is a world destined for God's righteous judgment. Listen to what the scripture says. Um, this is uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants us all to be in heaven with him. He wants us all to be a part of that new creation. But what you need to understand is heaven is not this independent paradise. You don't have your own personal heaven and I have my own personal heaven. 
there is God's place. There is this, this kingdom of God, meaning he's the king. There's no voting there. Our wills are aligned with his will. You're deciding that now. Right now, you're deciding whether you want to spend eternity with God or not. And unless you are willing to put your faith in him, put your trust in him, and align your will with his will, you will not spend eternity with God. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we put our faith in him and we seek to follow him. And he brings his spirit. He puts it inside of us and he gives us the strength and he gives us the wisdom to follow him. But you still have to day by day, moment by moment through every day, choose to align your will with his will. Because ultimately, that's what heaven is. It's human beings who have been created in the image of God who are restored to that image and who live forever with God as children of God. What does the word Christian mean? Do you know? It means little Christ. You see, those early believers, and initially Christianity was called the way. Now, unfortunately, there was a cult in the 70s that took up that name. And so, you know, we have a hard time using that today without people misunderstanding it. It's kind of like our church used to be called Zion, which I love the name. It's got an Old Testament reference. It's wonderful and so forth. But there are so many different groups that use that. And some of them... Uh, are certainly not groups that we would want to be identified with. We're not Rastafarians, for example. All right, I don't know if you even know what that is. I, I, we were in the process of considering changing the name of this church, and I was sitting with a group, and there were a group of uh, folks that didn't go to our church. I didn't even know if they were Christians or not. I said, hey, what do you guys think of this name, Zion? And he goes, is that a Rastafarian church? I'm like, no, we're not sitting around smoking ganja, and, you know, that's not us. And then I had some older people that walked by our church when it was called Zion, I look up at the sign and say, is that Jewish? No, we're not Jewish. And bless our Jewish brothers and sisters, but we're not Jewish. So we changed the name to Lifewell, and hopefully that's a little bit of an easier uh, way for people to understand what we are. So there's, there are misunderstandings that are in the world all the time. But what we need to realize is that uh, Christ is going to return. And he is going to return to bring people into the kingdom of God who have aligned their wills with God's will, who are willing to live in God's space, in God's place, in the kingdom of God. That's God's answer. So sin separates us from God. That's the cause of all of our woe. Concerning this, John Milton in his uh, epic poem, Paradise Lost, wrote, of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree, whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat. Sing, heavenly muse. And this is the introduction to uh, Paradise Lost by Milton. What we see in this text, though, in addition to the fall, we see that from the beginning, God planned to send a savior. Now, the way I wrote the scene for our play, The Ransom, Satan recognizes this. But the scripture that, uh, that teaches us this, uh, sometimes it's been called the, the pro-evangelion, all right, the pre-gospel. And this is in Genesis 3.15. You heard it read a moment ago. It was the last verse I read, but let me read it once again. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. This is between the serpent and the woman. The serpent that the New Testament clearly identifies as the devil and Satan. What is enmity? What does that mean? Do you know what the word enmity means? All right. I will make you enemies. I will cause there to be adversity. There will be opposition between. Do you have anyone that's like that? 
Maybe you've tried to get along with them, but they just always want to argue and fight. You're like, yeah, my kids, right? <laughs> it's selfishness, trust me, right? You're telling them what to do, and they don't want to do what you're telling them to do. It's the same reason people rebel against God. So I, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Hey, wait a second. Mm, pause. Without getting into detail here, uh, I'm not saying a lot of younger faces, but I'll, I'll be careful here. The woman doesn't bear the seed. So this is already a signal that something is going on here. Many theologians believe that this is pointing to the virgin birth. The woman doesn't bear the seed. The man bears the seed. But God says between her seed and Satan, there will be this enmity, right? He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And this, of course, is a prophecy of Christ taking the kingdom of darkness away from the enemy, removing the power of death from the enemy. Essentially, Satan is a defeated foe. There are, you know, people that are into demonology and Satanism and all these sorts of things that think Satan is this incredibly powerful being. There's some people that just think Satan is a mythological being. But the reality is Satan is a defeated foe. Satan is a fallen angel who has now been defeated. He's been defeated by Christ because Christ was willing to die on the cross for our sins. Christ died as a ransom to buy us back from this death penalty on the cross. This is already prophesied from the beginning in the garden. So what we find in conclusion is that God will restore creation. Now, I wonder what you think of heaven. You think of heaven as being a place of clouds, uh, angels playing harps. We're all sort of floating around in these, uh, these ghostly bodies, semi-translucent bodies. No, Christ was raised from the dead. He had a resurrected body, but it was a body that had substance. He stretched out his hand to doubting Thomas and he said, here, put your finger right there in the hole in my hand. He lifted up his robe and said, put your hand right here inside the wound in my side. He ate a piece of fish in their presence. Now, that doesn't mean he had to eat. It doesn't mean that those wounds were uh, open sores or anything like that. There's no more pain. There's no more suffering. But it demonstrates Christ is the first fruits of those that have fallen asleep. In other words, he is the first example of what we will all become if we put our faith in Christ, resurrected humans who will then be placed not somewhere else in the universe, not in some other dimension, but right here on earth, but it will be a renewed earth. It will be a restored earth. Listen to what the scripture says. Uh, this is Revelation 21, one through four, which of course is the second to the last chapter in the entire Bible, right? Listen to what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Amen? Amen. That's what we're looking forward to. 
So those who have no hope beyond this life that seek to make this a utopia, bless you. I hope your life goes as well as possible because this is as close to heaven as you're going to get. I'm not mad at you. I don't hate you. I don't think I'm better than you, but I know I'm better off because I'm going to try to make this world as good a place as I can. But I believe that that's going to happen when I encourage you, when I preach the good news to you, and when I encourage your lives so that you make your lives better, you make your environment, your family better, you make our environment better, certainly. But this is not all there is. In fact, this world in its present form is passing away. But there is a new world that is coming. And friends, you lived down here for a very, very brief period of time. Our oldest member passed away this year. His name was Vernon Yeager. He passed away at the age of 96 and a half. He lived a great life. Uh, he was a good example to everyone that knew him. 96 years, man, that's a good chunk of time to live. But that's nothing compared to eternity. Amen? Amen. I want you to compare how many years that you'll live. I hope you live, I hope you live to 100. But that's nothing compared to eternity. Why do we want to keep persevering in this life down here when we could give our lives away to the Lord? Let him use us however he chooses to use us so that we can invest in the kingdom of heaven, in the life that is to come. So bless your children. Bless your grandchildren. Invest. Make this as good a world as you possibly can. But look forward to something that is greater that is coming after this. And you could stop asking yourself the question why there's so much evil in the world. There's evil in the world because of human sin, because this is a fallen world. But you can gain salvation from the Lord Jesus Christ and have hope for eternal life. And I hope that's what you